Thank you very much. It's good to be here with you this morning in a slightly different role, uh, standing in for uh, Ian, who is unwell, and we wish him uh, well soon. All I want is a bit of forgiveness. Just looking to see if that rings any bells with one or two. Yes, I can see it ringing one or two bells. I want to say I am not, and I'm a celebrity watcher, addict, or anything else. I can't bear that awful program. But that little phrase came from a little interview between ITV News' Charlene White and none other than the former health secretary, uh, Matt Hancock, in the past week. All I want is a bit of forgiveness. He went on to suggest, we all make mistakes and I made a pretty big one. Hmm. This morning, as Craig has said, we are looking at the creed again in our series. We're on the third paragraph and specifically the line that says, I believe in forgiveness. I'd want to expand that a little bit further and say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I'm sure you will be delighted to know that I am not going to explore Matt Hancock's plea or admission. I'm far more interested in what scripture has got to say and in what Jesus has done for us and won for us already. And I do want to declare up front, I don't believe in a bit of forgiveness I believe in the total forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers. You're not a Pentecostal group, are you? Because normally they'd be shouting hallelujah at that point. (laughs) Maybe the later congregations will. I don't know. There we go. Of course, Matt Hancock does get just one thing right. But just a mere 2,000 years after St. Paul stated it so clearly in Romans 3.23, when he said, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Paul continued so eloquently, there is no one righteous, not even one. Everyone commits sins. Yes, colloquially, we all make mistakes, whether deliberately, accidentally, unintentionally, unwittingly, in thought, word or deed, as the prayer book confession prayers tend to put it, we make mistakes, we sin. All have sinned, all are in need of God's forgiveness. That's each and every one of you, each and every one of me and him behind me as well. We all need God's forgiveness. And you know, without God's forgiveness, we cannot receive God's free gift of salvation, namely a glorious eternity spent in the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there is good news. Scripture tells us in the first letter of John, If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In our hearts, surely every one of us knows that sometime or another, we do fall short and we sin. We don't live God's way 100% of the time. But the amazing news is, as it continues in 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Just let that sink in. God will forgive all our sins and purify us. He will restore us to his glory. Even though there are earthly consequences to sin, God will restore us. So why does God forgive us? Why will God restore us? 
Well, because he loves us like a parent loves a child. And he wants us to be in a right relationship with him now and for all eternity, enjoying his glory, sharing his joy. So again, yes, of course I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Because without the forgiveness of sins, there is no hope of salvation. Without the forgiveness of sins, we will be forever separated from God and his love. You know, because it's been said many times from up here, we are saved by grace through faith alone. That is faith in God's riches. You know the little acronym? God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace stands for. Take the first letter of each word, add it up. God's riches at Christ's expense. We're saved by faith alone. But faith in who or what? About faith in the person of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Of course. Our lovely Archdeacon Adrian spoke just a couple of weeks ago so clearly about believing in Jesus and our faith in Jesus. Now, declaring in our faith in Jesus also means declaring our faith in the forgiveness of sins. Declaring our faith is not just in the person of Jesus, but also in the works of Jesus, the works of the cross. And when we declare our faith in the works of the cross, we declare that we believe Jesus died and rose again for us, taking the place of the sinner as the sinless. Again, that's you and me. We're declaring that faith, of course, whenever we come to Holy Communion, as we will this morning, as we remember all that Jesus did, as he gave his body and shed his blood for us. But also having to declare our faith, of course, that he was raised from death. And in so doing, he won the victory over sin. Paul tells us in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. So it's by defeating death, being raised to new life, that Jesus proves two things. One, he has power over sin. And two, the victory is won by his blood for you and me. But let's not take my word for it or the stringing together of those verses. Let's look at scripture and think about it a bit more carefully. Wonder if you realize that in the Bible, the words forgiveness, forgiven, forgive appear something like 150 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So forgive or forgiveness is, is a key, key word. There are plenty of examples, but just one example we read very clearly of is in King David. Do you know good old King David, an adulterer, a murderer, who planned and fulfilled his desire to kill his lover's husband, and yet he sought God's forgiveness. And when he was forgiven, he knew in his own heart that he'd been forgiven through repentance and fasting, and God still called him, even after that mighty fall, a man after his own heart. What is even more, after all that, David was able to pen that very well-known psalm, Psalm 103, where we read in verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions or our sins. So a man who had fallen so far that he'd become a murderer and an adulterer, 
was forgiven and could declare God has taken away his sins through fasting, through repentance. And he discovered that true meaning of forgiveness. It is restoration. When we're forgiven, the slate is wiped clean, we're restored, we start again. God remembers our sins no more. We can once again be right with him, like David was, and so many others in the Bible as well. John the Baptist preached a message of repentance for sins so that people might reconnect with God in a real and living way and come back into that right relationship with God. But he also told us that one would come after him who was far greater than he was. Of course, Jesus, the son of the living God. And in Matthew chapter 9 this morning, as Jennifer has read for us, we've heard how Jesus forgave the sins of a paralytic man brought by his friends into the presence of Jesus. Now, the declaration of absolution for this man's sins caused consternation amongst the teachers of the law. Why? Because they believed that only God could forgive sins. So they accused him of blasphemy, of declaring that he was the son, he was God, by making that declaration. Let's look at scripture. It's interestingly, if we look at Matthew's gospel and place the things together and put that passage in context, we see that Matthew has been building up to this point, to this declaration of Jesus. Matthew 5 and 6, Jesus is teaching the people a collection of talks that we think of as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, we begin with a collection of healings, including the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. It's one of my favourite instances, and it's the stop of all mother-in-law jokes, because it's the first healing that Matthew actually ever talks about. That's an aside. Jesus then talks about the cost of discipleship, leaving everything behind to follow him. That's a key thing turning away from the world and turning to God. And by Matthew 8, Jesus is calming a storm and the terrified disciples ask, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, we know because we're studying the creed. It is the creator, the one who was present with the father at the creation of the world. No wonder the creator has got the authority over the things he's created, the wind and the waves. Next, just before our passage, we find Jesus is exercising the demons, casting them into a herd of pigs, sending them over the cliff to death, to the abyss, proving his authority over evil. It's worth noting that even the locals who saw that couldn't actually cope with Jesus and asked him to leave the area. His power was too much for them. So Matthew has been lining up the evidence And showing us, building the case for this point that we understand Jesus is at when he comes to do this forgiveness. He's taught us that Jesus the creator did indeed have authority over creation, the created, evil and demons. And yes, authority to forgive sins because he is the son of God. So he says to them, which is easier to forgive sins or to heal? Bit of a catch question, really, isn't it? I'll tell you why. It's a catch question or an odd question, because at that time, most of the Jewish people felt or thought, certainly the scribes, that the only person who could forgive sins was Jesus Christ. Sorry, was the Son of was God. 
And Jesus is going to say, I am the son of God. I am part of God. I'm divine as well as human. They'd seen and observed his healing and his restoration. And they couldn't deny that. And they believed that only God could forgive sins and heal like that. So when we get to this point, when Jesus declares, I can forgive sins and I will forgive this man's sins, healing should follow naturally. It's part of the restoration. But they are most perturbed by all this. So Jesus says, okay, well, either way, let's do it. I've declared the forgiveness of sins. And he says to the man, get up and walk. Take up your mat and walk. And we're ready for a picture of a man fully restored in body, mind, and spirit. Whether or not his sins were the reason he was paralyzed, which is what the Jewish people thought, doesn't matter. Sins are forgiven. Stand up and walk. Take up your mat. Don't miss an important snippet here, though. Having forgiven his sins, in commanding that the man gets up and walks, it's only as the man responds and does what he's told to do that we see the restoration and the picture is complete. And it's now that the crowd are filled with awe. Praise God. For what? That he has given authority to a man who is walking here amongst us. God has given his authority to Jesus because Jesus is God. Jesus is human and divine. The power of God is there. He has the power to forgive sins and to heal and to restore. And the one who couldn't walk takes up his mat and goes home. It's obvious really, isn't it? We are saved by faith alone through the grace of God. Thanks to his boundless love and mercy, he's made it possible but we too need to respond. You know the sinner's prayer? However, whatever form it comes, it's three key words. Whatever shape you come with, whether you start with thank you Jesus or whether thank you God, the three key words are I am sorry. Why I am sorry? Because in saying I am sorry, we are seeking and asking for God's forgiveness. As the old song from the 70s said, it may sometimes seem to be the hardest word, but unless we say it, we cannot receive God's forgiveness. I was 16 when I first invited Jesus into my life as a teenager. It's a long time ago now, I'll tell you, 47 years. And I made that sinner's prayer, my own prayer, said sorry to God, receive God's forgiveness on a Christian camp in South Devon. And I can tell you now, I can remember the moment, I was simply flooded with the love of God and the acceptance and the peace and the joy and the forgiveness that I received. So flooded that I overflowed. And like many people, flooded with tears. Very uncool for a 16-year-old. And since then, I've gone on receiving as I've needed it and as God has given forgiveness along the way. So how do we live out this forgiveness in our lives? Well, Jesus calls us to be his followers, you and me, and we're called to obey his commands, to love God and love as he loved first. And in his teaching on prayer, Jesus shows us very, very quickly how we should ask. Think about the Lord's Prayer. 
First thing we do is we pray not to be led into temptation. That's because God knows that even though he's forgiven us, we will sin again because we're human. Secondly, we ask him to forgive us our sins. Indication that we really are going to get it wrong sometimes. But there's a third bit. We also are called to pray that we will forgive others who have sinned against us. It's powerful stuff, isn't it? 1 John chapter 2. If we sin, the good news is we have an advocate with the Father in heaven. Jesus Christ, the perfect righteous one who will speak in our defense. Why? Because he's already paid that price of our sin. He's already made it possible for forgiveness to be ours through faith by grace. And as Paul tells us in Romans 6, there is no excuse for going on sinning. But when we do fall short of God's standards, when the Spirit prompts us, when we try our hardest by the power of the Spirit to avoid deliberate sin, God will forgive us when we make mistakes, when we get it wrong. Quick aside. Don't forever carry on deliberately sinning. If you know you've deliberately sinned, the Spirit has prompted you to repent and stop. If you do it again, the Spirit's voice when it prompts you next time will be a little bit quieter, and then a little bit quieter, and eventually God will leave you to your own desires, and you won't find forgiveness in that way. So always respond when the Holy Spirit's little voice in the quiet tells you to stop or don't or avoid. We need to round it up because time has gone. What does it mean for all of us today? Well, simply this. If you've never responded to God's love and invitation before, come and say sorry for the things you know you've done wrong in the past. Receive his forgiveness, which is waiting for you because of his love for you. And have that slate wiped clean. And know the joy that awaits that comes from heaven through the Spirit as the angels rejoice. Start afresh. Number two. If the Spirit is prompting you this morning to deal with something you've not repented of in your long or recent past, and he's now brought that to mind, then deal with it. Bring it before God. Seek his forgiveness. Let him take it away from you and restore you again to that right relationship, deeper relationship with him. Three. If the Spirit is prompting you to go to someone either that you have wronged and seek their forgiveness or to forgive someone who has wronged you in whatever way you can. Seek prayerfully to deal with that today or soon, quickly, with God's help so that as far as it is possible within you, you are able to live at peace with God and the Spirit and all others. And finally... If and when you have sought God and your neighbour's forgiveness, don't forget to forgive yourself. God has forgiven you, so you can forgive yourself. In the last moments of his life, even the repentant thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus received what he was asking for. Not a bit of forgiveness, but total forgiveness and the promise of a place in paradise. You can read it and remind yourself from Luke 23. Don't leave it that near end of your life. 
in case it's too late and you miss the opportunity, come and receive the forgiveness Jesus offers. Be restored. Know the joy, peace and heavenly freedom and the love that is waiting for you already. Just as the prodigal son discovered as he returned to the father, it was already there waiting just to overflow to him when he got back home. And thank God for the forgiveness of sins. I'm sure if you need help to pray through anything that sparked this morning, there are folks around who will be able to pray with you and for you just to seek that bit of help. Don't struggle alone. Amen.